Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Before we pray, I hope some of you had a chance to, some of the preschoolers had palm branches, and they were running through the, um, sort of, they were attended, uh, but, uh, but they, were, they were running through the hallway shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful sight to remind us. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come before you, and uh, we uh, remember uh, over 2,000 years ago that that final time you came into Jerusalem to lay down your life, to be an atonement for a sacrificial death. And uh, we just uh, give you all praise, all glory for that, Lord, today. And we think about Holy Week, Passion Week. We think about all the events that took place until finally next week we get to celebrate that beautiful uh, resurrection morning. And so today, Lord, help us to, to just think about that uh, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we listen to the message, as we dig into your word, as we sing. May it all uh, just uh, in our minds and our hearts uh, prepare us to take the Lord's Supper today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, quick uh, announcement. Um, everybody, 
and, and really this, if I say, normally I say if you're a first or second time. Oh, real quick, Mike, on that next song, could you do that little trick we talked about? Uh, stage view, blah, 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 because the first one didn't happen. Thank you. Uh, so real quick, um, everybody needs this card because it applies to next Sunday. All right. Um, if uh, if you are coming to the early um, sunrise service and you're going to be a part of breakfast, all right, you need to circle B and 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 tell us uh, how many in your family are coming. So head of the house, grab one of these, circle B and tell us how many are coming. Family of four, B four. If you live in assisted living, we're not playing bingo now. Um, be family of four, okay? So please do that and then put that in the offering plate uh, as it's passed a little bit later, all right? Again, in my prayer, um, and I, I totally meant this, uh, let this morning, everything we do, everything we pray, everything we sing, uh, everything we hear in God's word, be pointed to coming to his table and fellowshipping with, fellowshipping with him today, Amen. stands an endless mercy tree every broken weary soul find your rest and be made whole stripes of blood that stain its frame shed to wash away our shame from the scars Pure love released, salvation by the mercy tree. And in the sky between two thieves hung the blameless prince of peace. Bruised and battered, scarred and scored, sacred head pierced by our thorns. Indeed his finish was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified. His sacrifice, our victory, our Savior chose his mercy tree. Hope went dark that violent day. The whole earth quaked at love's display. Three days silent in the ground, his body born for heaven's crown.
Easter morning a little too early, didn't we? But you, you, just, you can't tell the story, right? You just can't tell the sad part of the story without telling the great part of the story. So let's pray together. Lord God, we uh, just come before you humbly. And what you've done for us, Lord, there's no way to repay you. But you have told us that uh, we should uh, be obedient in giving our tithes and offerings. And so we will do that today, Lord. And we pray that it blesses you and just brings honor and glory to the Father and and furthers your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, if I may be so bold, um, I'm counting this as the most important song we do this morning because it's the song that you say, the song that you sing. It's the song that you use to prepare your hearts to come to the Lord's table with these words. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Yeah. 
the far side of the chasm, you held me in your side. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne that you built here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt. My chains freed my soul for the first time I had hoped. Thank you, Jesus, for the
sovereign King, all my hope is in your hands. From creation's majesty, you ordained redemption's plan. For your glory is and your greatness displayed. Mercy
Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. If you take your copy of God's Word, there's nothing we can think about, meditate on, and study that is more enriching to us and more important to us as Christians than what Jesus did on the cross. To ask ourselves a series of questions during this time of the of year is very important. What is the meaning of Jesus' death? What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? We need to come to those questions regularly. We need to appreciate afresh the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Now use a term, atoning, which comes from atonement, Old Testament Hebrew kafar. And you would probably think of the Day of Atonement and you would be right in that consideration. We need to appreciate The atoning work of Christ, Leon Morris says, not only is the cross of Jesus the means of bringing us salvation, but it is a reminder that we are to take up our cross day by day. To understand that Jesus died for us is to understand that we must live for him. Any serious attempt to understand the Christian way must begin with the cross. Unless we come to see what the cross means, we do not understand Christianity. Morris goes on to say real Christianity in this sense that the New Testament writers gave us is that the cross is absolutely central. We must give time and attention to what it means. So I don't think any of us will ever this side of heaven have a full understanding of the atonement. I don't think you will. I think there's so much going on when Jesus is bearing our sins in his own body for our sake. There's so much going on we could never exhaust the full understanding of the atonement of Christ. The atoning work of Christ made on the cross is the defining truth of our salvation. If there is no atonement, there is no salvation. If there is no atonement, there is no forgiveness of sins. If there is no atonement, there is no life. The Bible says, he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. The atonement is also the fountain of every other redemptive benefit that you could ever have and experience as a Christian. It all flows from the atoning work of Christ, the very blessing of knowing that I belong to God, knowing that my sins are forgiven, that Christ is mine, flows out of what Jesus did on the cross. The atonement is also motivation for Christian living. And thus, listen to the verse of Scripture. It's a hallmark text. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul will also talk about it in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He will say, Christ died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. You hear it? But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Because of what Jesus did for us, we now live for him. 
The cross, in other words, shapes our life. There's a word for that. It's called cruciform. And what does that mean? It means that the cross shapes our very lives. We're shaped by what Jesus did for us on the cross. If a person can claim to have their sins forgiven through the cross, and it does not affect the way that you live, then you don't understand the meaning nor the power of the cross. Galatians 2.20 gives it to us kind of frankly, doesn't it? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave him presently you on the cross. But God demonstrates his love toward us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul is focused on Christ's active love for us as he endured the cross. He loved me, gave himself for me. Walter Murray McShane said this, Often the doctrine for Christ, often the doctrine Christ for me appears common, well known, having nothing new in it. I am tempted to pass over it and go to some scripture that may be more interesting. He says this, This is the devil again with a red hot lie. Christ for us is ever new and ever glorious. The unsearchable riches of Christ, an infinite object, and the only one for a guilty soul, I ought to have a number of scriptures ready which will lead my blind soul directly to what Christ did for me on the cross. And McShane offers two of those. Isaiah 53, when's the last time you breezed through it? And then Romans chapter 3. So the Lord help us if we ever get bored with Christ for me. God help us if we ever get bored with what Jesus did for us on Calvary. May our hearts be stirred. May our hearts be changed about in and out by the old story, old, old story, as the hymn says, of Jesus' love for me. Charles Spurgeon said, we will sooner have our tongues cut out. Don't you love Spurgeon? Than to cease to speak of the precious blood of Christ. Full atonement is the title of the sermon. Can it be? You know where that comes from? It comes from a hymn called Hallelujah, What a Savior. And it's written by Philip Bliss in 1875. It's also called Man of Sorrows sometimes. Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Are we getting a little bit toward atonement there? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. Amen. What a Savior. Listen to this one. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a great, great song. So there is profound theology woven in our hymnody. And that's why we sing hymns here, so that we learn. Now, the word atonement, you've often heard, means at, one, meant. Have you, how many have ever heard that before? You know why? Because you don't hear the word atonement too much. So that means we're not preaching the full counsel of God. 
if you haven't heard that, right? So atonement, that is a good definition. Break it down. At one mint. So it is to make amends. He describes the work of Christ, but don't fool yourself because biblically it speaks, the atonement speaks of the vicarious obedience, the expiation, the covering of guilt, the propitiation, the turning away of wrath, reconciliation, peace with God, and redemption, paying a price performed by the Lord of glory when once for all he purged our sins on the cross and then rose from the dead and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In order for me to preach on the atonement, I would have to unpack every bit of that for you this morning. Are you ready? There's no way that we can get all of that into one sermon. You'd have to start in the Old Testament and come to the New, and you'd have to unpack all those terms for us to understand it. But that's the work of Christ. One of the emergent church nitwits a few years ago said, He's God, for goodness sake. Why can't He just forgive us? Was the atonement the only way, I'm saying this, not the nitwit, was the atonement the only way that God could save sinners? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? If you haven't, you haven't reflected on the cross a whole lot. And here's what I would tell you. Once God determined to save fallen sinners, at that point, our God is committed to save in a way which he maintains his own character. He must save in a way that maintains his own righteousness and justness and holiness. So the atonement is something that is necessarily accomplished because Jesus Christ was both God, fully God, and fully man. And once God decreed to save, then some things become consequentially necessary. Once God decides to save, he cannot send an angel. He can't send a mere man. He can't just come down himself and save. This necessitates the incarnation of the Son of God. Jesus Christ as both God and man. Two natures in one person. Second, because of God's nature, once he determines to save, he must save in a way that is consistent with his nature. God is never compelled by outside forces to do anything. If anybody tells you otherwise, they have not read the Word of God. God Himself is never compelled by anything on the outside to do anything. We might say that the atonement is the overflow of who God is. The atonement of Christ is compelled by the very character of God and the character of our sin that come together and necessitate both the incarnation and the atoning work of the Lamb of God. So the atonement was absolutely necessary to God once he decreed to save. Question, did God have to decree to save? If you answer yes, then you didn't listen to the sermon. God is not ever obligated to do anything from an outside source. He could have decreed not to save and he would have remained fully God and answered to no one. Why? Because he is wholly sufficient in himself. But once he did, he must save in a way that is consistent with his nature. What is the nature of our God? Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels are not singing love, love, love. 
They're not singing mercy, mercy, mercy. There's a reason why they are trebling the Hebrew of superlative. Holy is not enough. Holy, that's not enough either. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Get that in your mind. 1 John 5, 1, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God's character is holy. God can never compromise his holiness. Never. It's essential in his nature. Again, it's the only attribute repeated to the third degree. It would mean God's absolute moral perfection. Yes. It's not just sinlessness, but perfect holiness and righteousness. Holiness also entails that he is holy other. He's not like us. He's holy other. He's transcendent. God cannot act in a way where his holiness is marginalized or denigrated. Whatever he does... It must be consistent with his own holiness and his own nature. So when God determines to save, he must save in a way that maintains absolute perfect holiness. What about God's righteousness? That's his intrinsic character. In other words, God always does that which is right. Listen to Genesis. You don't have to read too far in the scripture to find this out. In Genesis chapter 18 verse 25, he's calling Abraham again. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. Did you hear that? He's the God of all the earth and he does what is just. So God can never act in a way that is unrighteous or unholy. He never can. This means that God is a just God. He's holy and therefore just. What does this mean? If God doesn't punish sin, he is neither holy nor is he just. Hear me, folks. God must punish sin. So, if if he is not holy and just, he's not God. But God is also love. Aren't you thankful? Is there a scripture that pops in your mind about God is love? You're thinking John 3.16. That's a good one, but that's not the primary one. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loves is... Now that's God's love, right? Born of God. He that loveth not knows not God because God is... Say it. Love. Straight out characteristic. What flows out of God's love? Well, just as justice flows out of God's holiness, mercy... The Hebrew word would be loving kindness and compassion flow out of his love for us. God is holy and just and righteous in everything that he does. And he can never compromise that. Yet here is a God who is love. But our God demonstrates his love, doesn't he? God's holiness and justice demand judgment against sin. There is, a comprom- there is no compromise on that issue. It demands judgment. If God is to be true to himself, then judgment must be the consequence of sin. Sin is unrighteousness. Sin belittles God. Sin exchanges God's glory for garbage. God loves his own glory more than anything else, and therefore he must act against sin. Sin is lawlessness, according to 1 John 3, 14. Sin is rebellion against a God who is the judge. Therefore, if man is to be saved, God must act. Mankind is dead in his trespasses and sin. No one seeks the Lord. God must act. Unrighteousness and lawlessness demand action from a holy and just God. Yet God is also a God of love. He's committed 
to the fulfillment of his plan. That's what faithfulness means. We have these little attribute cards that we share with Nathan. And that's what faithfulness is. God is loyally devoted to his plan. And he'll never move an inch off his plan. That's what it means for God to be faithful. Because God is holy and just and because God is love, compassion, and merciful, he must act in a way that upholds his glory, upholds his holiness, upholds his justice, but also show love and mercy to fallen creatures like us. What's the answer? Far be it from me to glory in anything except the cross. It's not human effort. It's nothing I can concoct in my own feeble mind. This is the plan of God that redeemed my soul. This is the cross of Christ, which is the very wisdom of God. And this is what makes the cross stunningly beautiful to us. That's why we glory in the cross. This is why Paul makes this boast in the cross. The cross is the answer to how God can be both holy and just. And at the same time loving and merciful. Psalm 85 hits on the principles. Don't try to turn, just write it down. Psalm 85, listen to the word of God. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. How can those massive principles come together? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Well, folks, the cross is the focal point where the holiness of God and the justice of God and the mercy of God and the love of God meet. As many people have said, the capstone of that understanding, and turn to this one, is Romans 3, verse 26. Romans 3, 26. Listen to the word of the Lord. It was to show... His righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. Y'all see it? And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can he be just and the justifier of mankind? Here's the answer. The Son of God on the cross. That's how that takes place. In the cross, God is demonstrating. He's putting on public display how he is both just. Have you ever thought about the cross? Thinking of Christ on it is a display of the glory of God. As you look at it, God is telling you, I am just and I must pay the penalty for sin. I cannot compromise my holiness and justice. Yet, I can also in love justify sinners. It is at the cross where those massive realities converge. In the cross, we see the character of God on display. And we also see the nature of our sin. We see the need for redemption from our hearts. We see all that converging in the work of atonement by the Son of God. The atonement demonstrates His character, His grace, His wisdom. When's the last time you considered that the cross was the wisdom of God? That's what grips my spirit today because the world thinks it's folly. To the lost person, that cross stuff is simply folly. Listen to how Paul will address this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, 
It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In other words, folks, the cross is the power and wisdom of God. Only God could have a plan to save mankind where he maintained his absolute just character and his absolute perfection and yet at the same time reach out to save sinners in love. Only God, that's the wisdom of God. The cross is the wisdom of God. So the world thinks it's foolish. God says it's my power and my wisdom. It's the power of God because that's where he saves sinners. And hear me clearly. That is the only way sinners can be saved. And if anybody tells you there are parallel roads that lead to heaven, you tell them on the authority of the word of God, that ain't so. I learned that in the South. That ain't so. It's not so. There's only one way because only one could come. Fully God and fully man. He, God, made him. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And unless you have a bearer of your sin, you do not have a hallelujah chance of heaven. It's impossible unless God bears your sin burden on the cross of Calvary. So the wisdom is seen in God's eternal plan. But it also displays God's glory. And here's, here's the verse. Galatians 6.14 A cross-centered life boasts in the cross and not self. What's your boast today as you come to this table? What is your boast today as you will partake of the Lord's table? In time and memorial, Jesus says, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Why? We celebrate. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. A cross-centered life boasts in the cross, not self. And then when we then cherish Christ, not the world. You young people, hear me. Don't cherish the world. Listen to the scripture again. Except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That whole system that is against God. That whole system that says the wisdom of the cross is foolishness. That whole system can't be what you depend on. In other words, live as though the world is nothing to you. And Christ is everything. Brother David, let's sing another song. Listen to this one. When I survey the wondrous cross.
1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I give to you a first importance. That Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Have you put your faith and trust? If you're lost today, please hear. Absolute holiness, perfection, justice, mercy. All those gigantic attributes. Holiness. Just. Righteous. Sinner. Us. Right? The love of God being demonstrated toward us. Loving kindness. How can that happen? Only in the cross. Only in Jesus Christ. So during this invitation, if you've never trusted Jesus, trust him. The gospel. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. What do you do? You repent. That is a position of moving from unbelief that God does in your heart and mind through regeneration to a place of belief. It is turning. It is belief. Right? You do not believe and you do believe. And you repent and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, hallelujah, what a Savior. Enough said, right? Remember the verse. When you glory in the cross, you will be crucified to the world. And the world will be to you. Would you do that? Would you, this year, think about the cross. And the difference it makes in one's life. That not only is it the means of your salvation. That's why you glory. But it makes a difference in the way you live your life. Amen. Let's have one verse, Brother David. This is an invitation. You can, you can be seated. But if the Lord moves your heart and you need to be saved, don't sit there. All right? Let's sing. Let's rise and sing together. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise made to all who come in faith. Find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of the sacrifice as a sign of our bond of peace. Through the table of the King, the body of our Savior Jesus Christ, torn for you. So we share, so we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bond of love around the table of the king. Cup and- 
table of the king. I will ask you to be seated and for our servers to come forward. Remember Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. Thinking of that broken body, that perfect sacrifice, he that knew no sin, becoming sin for us. And then the blood that was shed for the ransom to save us from our sins. Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat. This is my body that was broken for you. And then the Bible says, in like manner, he took the cup of blessing. Probably a common cup, right? All drinking from the same common cup, telling them that this is the new covenant. This is, your, this is redemption for you, salvation in my blood. And as often as you drink this, you do it in, in remembrance of what Christ has accomplished for us. Amen. As we bow for prayer for the distribution, Lane McMurray is going to lead us in our prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we praise you for the blessing of being in your house. Um, Father, to sing praises to you, to hear from your word of the truth. Um, and God, as we praise you for this church family. God, that uh, you've allowed to come together um, here this morning to worship you and to partake in this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And God, as we do so, um, as we sang this morning of the mercy tree, God, we can't comprehend your mercy. Father, we know that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, Father perfected for all time. Father, it is overwhelming. The, your love, your grace, your mercy that you've poured out upon us, God, that you saw fit to save us, and, and um, God, that you took our sin upon him, placed his righteousness upon us. And Father, as we um, participate in this Lord's Supper, as we take of this bread, God, as we do this in remembrance of you, uh, I pray that this worship be pleasing to you. And God, may our minds rest upon the cross. It's your son's precious name we ask. Amen.
The Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, this is my body that was broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Father, we give you praise. Lord, you sent the bread of life. And apart from him, there is no satisfaction in life. Lord, let us live as the parable says, that the man finds the treasure in the field and goes and sells all that he has and goes back and purchases that field to have that treasure. We thank you for it, Lord Jesus. Thank you for you, for who you are. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we've been reminded this morning that we are so unworthy. Father, I'm, every time I think about how unworthy I am and all of us who, who, have, who have come to know you, Lord, through salvation, we realize that as Ephesians told us, we were dead in our trespasses and sinned, but it says in which we formerly walked. We're so grateful for that. And then you say, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, oh, Father, thank you that with your judgment also comes grace and mercy. And we just want to thank you once again for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes our sins away for that full atonement. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Amen.
Jesus said, after telling us this is in blood of his covenant, poured out for the sins of many to save us, he also talks about not drinking this again unto the kingdom which is to come. Don't you look forward to that aspect of the kingdom. We need the Lord to come quickly. Amen. But it's his timetable. Amen. We actually proclaim his death. We proclaim his death until he comes. Take and drink. All right, we're going to sing again. You know, that's biblical. Off the Mount of Olives, before they left, they sang a hymn. Don't go anywhere, let's sing. And then we'll close our service. We're going to sing the last verse of the, the communion hymn, Behold the Lamb, that we just shared a while ago. But this uh, is a response. It's a response to what we've just participated in. It says, And so with, grateful, with, with thankfulness and faith, we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as His body, we are His body, right, here on earth. Let's sing it together. So with thankfulness, and so with thankfulness and faith we rise to As we share in his sub, we proclaim, we proclaim, Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King. All right, God bless you. Just a special thanks to our choir. Wow. Praise God. Glad to have glad to have Miss Debbie back with us. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, Miss Ava, I already said that before. You got to play that at my funeral, so you got to outlive me. Amen. All right. Praise God for the music today. Um, please think about next Sunday. If you did not get a chance to fill out that card that you're coming for breakfast, then you'll have to watch me eat. All right. <laughs> Uh, but look, don't sign up for breakfast if you're not coming to, to the sunrise at 7, okay? Make sure you come into both, right? Sunrise at 7, followed by a meal. We need that card. Remember, we have a 9 o'clock worship service. No Sunday school next Sunday. 9 o'clock worship and 10.30 worship, okay? And then please come back tonight. I'm going to flesh out about six different views of the atonement from Scripture. I'm going to tell you which one's right. All right, from the Bible, okay? And then there is that little short time of business tonight where we as a church will vote in uh, congregational elders leading our congregation, okay? What I say wrong? Next Sunday, Bishop, preschool Sunday school at 9 o'clock and ETC at 10.30. Okay, preschool does have Sunday school. Thanks, Don. 
I guarantee you he would have chased me for weeks, if not. So you, we do have preschool Sunday school at 9. That will allow you adults to come at 9 and your kids in preschool. Okay? And then ETC as well, meaning we have our regular nursery at the 1030 worship service. Okay? God bless each one of you. I don't think I've missed anything. To God be the glory. Have a wonderful day.